You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a 34-year police veteran, author of A Cop's Life, and the founder of The Wounded Blue, national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Thanks so much for joining me today. On this show, we talk about all things law enforcement, have great guests, and uh, so uh, let's just get started, okay? There's always lots to talk about when it comes down to what's going on involving the police. Let's talk about the Capitol Police. We all know of the debacle at the Capitol on January 6th. It's led to so much consternation, discussion, argument, uh, everything that that could be considered having gone wrong actually went wrong. The question is, who's to blame? And is there blame and who shares it? The, the question needs to be answered. Now, I, right now there is a uh, movement afoot to conduct a investigation similar to a 9-11 commission. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it'll be if it'll be effective, it all depends on if they allow the politics that has been so much a part of this entire issue to play the play the role, if you will, in uh, in making decisions about the, uh, the about the blame. If if there was a intelligent, dispassionate, professional investigation. I would say that we would find some very interesting things about what really took place. So for instance, I happen to know firsthand that there was a, a, a question by the, by the chief at the time who uh, was forced into resignation after the debacle. There was a question about what he said, what he asked for in terms of support. And... After he left office, he said that he had requested National Guard number times and, and requested assistance and was turned down. Now, here's what's interesting. Unlike any other police department in the country where there is a mayor and or city council that makes decisions based on the issues, uh, they're the ones that... that that uh, talk about what happened and give orders to the chiefs. Okay, that's that's the norm. That's not what what, what happens in the Capitol. Capitol Police has a chief, but the chief is a non-voting member of, of a committee. And this committee is actually made up of the sergeant-at-arms of the House and the Senate. Who do they report to? Well, they report to... The, the House Majority Leader and the House Minority Leader. The chairman of that was the Sergeant-at-Arms for the Democratic Senate. In other words, the buck stops with Nancy Pelosi. Now, what did she know? That's the question. What did she know? What did she authorize? What did she not authorize? These are the questions that need to be answered. Now, will a politically-led investigation reveal that? I don't know. 
All I can say is if there was a professional investigation, we might find some very interesting facts. But here's one fact that came out. That is regarding the leadership of the Capitol Police. Because just this week, there was a vote of no confidence in the entire police leadership of the Capitol Police. It is astounding what took place. 92% of Capitol Police officers gave a vote of no confidence. Rank and file officers delivered an overwhelming rebuke of department leadership, and this is startling. In essence, what this vote of no confidence says is that the entire leadership of the Capitol Police is viewed as being incompetent and inept by the men and women who are actually working the line. This should cause everyone to have a major concern because the Capitol Police are a incredibly important police agency. They literally provide security for our nation's capital. They not only require, but they deserve the best leadership. But I think that what has taken place and what will continue to take place unless there are changes made in the hierarchy and who they report to, this is going to be a complete political issue, not a policing issue. And when you involve, I mean, the reality is is that every police job, every law enforcement job, uh, there is a political aspect to it, especially now. But when you're talking about a police agency that answers to the most politicized people in the country, the House Minority Leader and, and Senate Majority Leader, well... I think that, uh, that there is a time now for, for that to be looked at and perhaps a change made. But when you have 92% of the Capitol Police officers giving a vote of no confidence to their entire administration, that should be a wake-up call for everyone. All right, let's talk about leadership, okay? Let's talk about leadership. L.A. County. I think every week you're going to hear me talking about L.A. County and the district attorney and what a mess he is. Name is uh, George Giscon, or Gascon, whatever you want to pronounce it. He was the district attorney in San Francisco for a lot of years. And he was, he destroyed the district attorney's office there. He destroyed any semblance of a legitimate prosecution endeavor, effort, because of his exceedingly liberal, agenda-driven, political aspirations of destruction of the criminal justice system mentality. Well, he's... He's only been in office a few months, and it's it's a mess in L.A. County. It's the largest, largest district attorney's office in the country. 
and there's absolute mutiny taking place in the office because he's basically come in and rewritten laws. He's told his district attorneys that he doesn't want to prosecute any offender under the age of 18 for any major crime as an adult. Think about that, okay? You think about that, that there are 17-year-old gangbangers who are committing incredibly violent acts up to and including murder or sexual assault and he has now taken away the ability to try them as adults and so what happens is they get sentenced as youthful offenders and they serve a little bit of time and they're gone they're out that's his answer for everything he doesn't want to prosecute anybody for anything unless it's a police officer he definitely wants to prosecute police officers for anything. But when it comes down to actual criminals, it is a mess. He's refusing to ask for the death penalty. He's refusing to use the three strikes law, which is by statute. If he could, he'd fire every single district attorney that doesn't agree with him. If he could. Luckily, there is a fairly strong district attorney's union there. So he can't just run roughshod. And he's already been handed several defeats by courts who have said you have to enforce certain laws. But this is going to be a continuous problem. Now, amongst everything else that he's been doing, I'm going to read you this headline. Los Angeles County District Attorney Gascon cuts ties with DA group, complaints board is, you're going to love this, white. Yeah, okay, white. The Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascones cut ties with the California District Attorneys Association, saying the group's all-white board indicates the group has failed to keep pace with changing times. Yeah, okay, so... Gascon says the absence of a single person of color on CDAA 17-member board is blinding. And he has just said he's not going to be a member of it anymore. Now, of course, every district attorney is a member of this because that association sets policies. But he doesn't want to comply with any of the policies because those district attorneys are actually real district attorneys. They actually want to put violent offenders in prison, not Gascon. So he's picking up his ball and he's going home. That should tell everybody in L.A. exactly what kind of individual Gascon is. His desires have nothing to do with victims, nothing to do with crime, Nothing to do with the safety of one of the most populous counties in the country. It's all about his social activism. Now, I know this will shock you, but how did he get in office with millions of dollars funded by George Soros? How else? You know, it's almost a foregone conclusion that the crime in Los Angeles County is going to get worse and worse and worse because 
if you have a district attorney who is, by the way, given the responsibility to be one of the chief law enforcement officers in the county, if he takes that job and he wants to use it for his political ambitions and his activist agenda, there's going to be hell to pay. And that hell is going to be in terms of the safety of the citizens of L.A. County. There's going to be blood in the streets and, unfortunately, uh, there is one, there's only one possibility of some redemption here. That is that once he has six months in office and everybody can see how useless he is and how damaging he is, well then there is already talk of a recall election or at least a recall endeavor to remove him. And I think that that is exactly what needs to happen. Gascon needs to go. And the people of Los Angeles, if they if they bury their heads in the sand and they don't take an interest in this, well, when it comes down to their safety, they're going to be getting a very, well, they're going to be learning some very hard lessons. So that's, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about Gascon from me as, as time goes by. You know, when it comes down to politics, police leadership, law enforcement leadership has, in many cases, just completely given way to the social justice mania. And law enforcement leaders have shown in, in so many ways how spineless they are, giving in to socialist social activism and and pressure from ultra liberals well it just happened again in king county washington king county sheriff detective fired for quote controversial unquote social media posts king county sheriff mitzi johannacht has terminated a former detective, after receiving a, quote, unprecedented number, unquote, of complaints from community members about the detective's social media posts. The investigation into former detective Michael Brown's social media posts began in July 2020 after a series of posts on Facebook that, quote, endorsed and advocated unnecessary excessive force and violence and demonstrated indifference to life and racial equity. Okay, this is like buzzword bingo for the left. What did he do? What did the, what did what horrible posts did this did this detective put up there? I mean, oh my god. Here's what he put. One of the posts on July 4, 2020 was a meme showing a vehicle running over people with the captions all lives splatter, and said, keep your ass off the road, unquote. Uh, that's it? That's it?
That's that's what caused him to be fired? you got to be kidding me. In another post, uh, following the death of Lorenzo Anderson, Brown took to Facebook saying, quote, quote, say what? The Chaz slash Chop have renamed Cal Anderson Park the Lil Ren's Last Stand Park, unquote. Uh, uh, okay, uh, big deal. The investigation found that the post, you're going to love this, minimized the death and was controversial in its regards to use of force against people of color. What? How do you, how do you get that? You know, the right to free speech has been whittled away towards everyone. This cancel culture that we now have in this new woke insanity that we're seeing. But law enforcement officers for years now have been victimized by these draconian social media policies that really just give administrations the ability to appease people when they when they complain about the police so what happened to the right to free speech now of course if if somebody in a law enforcement capacity puts you know ridiculous hate-filled speech or you know racist stuff up I get it I understand that and of course you want to you want to deal with that but some of something this innocuous because somebody complained about it well you know people are bitching about everything that the cops do so this this sheriff first of all I think way, way exceeded her authority in terminating this guy. And I bet you, I'll bet you that when he goes to court, which he will, and fights this, he's going to get his job back, as he should. And yet, at the same time, he will be given the silent treatment, if you will, by his bosses. They'll treat him like a pariah. All because he put up some colorful meme, if you will, and you know what, cops have weird senses of humor, they they have a certain gallows humor, and so what? Are, really, are we that, are we that thin-skinned? Really? Well, this is just more of the, of the social mania that's affecting our nation and especially our cops. Well, we've got a great guest waiting in the interview room, so I'm going to sign off for now, and we will reconvene over there. This is Oris from oldguytalkstome.com, here to talk to you about something most men don't want to talk about. Erectile dysfunction. It robs you of your emotional and physical intimacy. And when you do talk about it, when you go see your doctor, well, you find out that those treatments that you hear about are cost prohibitive, costing thousands of dollars. But I'm here to tell you that there is now a new option, something that you can use in the privacy of your own home at a fraction of the cost that puts out the same acoustic wave signal as those expensive in-office devices do. Find out what one happy users has to say about it. Hey, everybody, I want to talk to you real quick about something that not a lot of us like to talk about. 
uh, ED or erectile dysfunction. Um, I'm 62 years old. I've had a version of it for the last 13 years at least and tried all the regular stuff, uh, Viagra, Cialis. Worked fine in the beginning, but uh, lately it's not been working so well. And then I come across this thing called the Phoenix. This machine is amazing. Already seen massive results. Uh, it's going to make you like you're 20 years old again. Give it a shot. What do you do now? Go to www.oldguytalks.com backslash wounded talks with an S and get that information in order now. Be sure to use the promo code wounded50, all caps on the wounded, and get $200 off this limited time promotion. Remember, with every purchase, a donation will be made to the Wounded Blue. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. Do it now. Do you like coffee? Well, I bet you do. And I have got the coffee for you. It's called Law Dog Coffee. LawDogCoffee.com. It is, first of all, it's phenomenal coffee. Secondly, it goes to support um, a great organization, the Wounded Blue which helps injured and disabled law enforcement officers. So this coffee is Costa Rican coffee. It is roasted in a family roasting company that has been in business for over 90 years. And I got to tell you, it's delicious. Now, if, if, if I didn't believe that this coffee was so good, I, I couldn't get out up here and lie to you, okay? It, it, it really, truly is. And here's... Here's the best part. It's so convenient. You, it, it, it's a subscription coffee. So you go online, lawdogcoffee.com, and you order a pound or two pounds, whoever much coffee you drink. They got some really cool different flavors, and uh, and it is it is amazing coffee. Go to lawdogcoffee.com, order yours now. I promise you, if you're a coffee drinker, you are going to love it. And the profits go to a good cause. So check it out. LawDogCoffee.com Tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. My fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. And like us, we're pretty sure you're not happy about any of it. But this is the America we now find ourselves in. AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world, featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund 
these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. With me today in the interview room of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of law enforcement, is a man on a mission. He is the sheriff of Dodge County in Minnesota. His name is Scott Rose, but he does much more than just be the sheriff. He also has an amazing podcast that, um, that, that memorializes the men and women of law enforcement who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Scott, thanks so much for being on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network. Brandy, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, so let's first of all, let's talk about your police career and your career prior to becoming a cop, and then we'll get into um, a little bit more about what you do. Yep, absolutely. Um, where do you want me to start? I, so I, I, before, before, law enforcement's a second career for me. So prior to law enforcement, I went to broadcasting school in Arizona. I grew up in Minnesota in the, in the county that I work in now. And I went to broadcasting school in Arizona and worked in radio stations in Nebraska, Kansas, back to Nebraska. Then I came back to Rochester, Minnesota and worked at a, a radio station or a group of radio stations here in uh, Southeast Minnesota. And then long story short, I ended up uh, going into law enforcement. My, my father was in law enforcement. And um, uh, so I, I grew up around cops and, and uh, there I, I followed a calling and uh, I, it ended up being a second career for me. When did you begin your law enforcement career? I start. So in 96, I got involved on the Dodge County Sheriff's Posse, which is a, a volunteer group that, that helps with patrol, that helps with the events, um, searches, et cetera, and, and uh, got involved with them only at the time because I had horses and we did everything on horseback back then. And <laughs> honestly, and that was my, my dad was a deputy and he said, you know, you, 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 do, you do horse stuff, you want to do more horse stuff, you, you got good horses, why don't you do something on the posse? I thought, well, that's something different. Why not? All right. So, so wait, I just got to, I got to, I got to, I can't help it. I have to. So you're the, you're, you're, you're in Dodge County and yes. you're, and you're riding and you're riding horses as a cop. Yes. It, it conjures up such great, <laughs> great imagery. But okay. Go ahead, Scott. So, so with the, back then with the, with the volunteer posse, we did things on horseback. So we did parades, we did, uh, you know, uh, security for the fair and security for, rodeos and stuff like that. Everything was done on horseback. And, uh, and there are still many mounted posses, uh, with different sheriff's offices here in Minnesota. We don't have one anymore. Everything they've gone to ATVs and, and, uh, Rangers and, and whatnot now, but, um, back then it was horses. And one of the things that we had to do in order to maintain our, our membership with, uh, uh, the posse is you had to do a ride along once a year in patrol. And as once I started doing ride-alongs, I got I I got hooked on it. I love the uh, I love the night work. I love the camaraderie with the officers. Um, I, as cliche as it sounds, I love the aspect of being out there to help people, being there for people, and it it really made me kind of shift gears and 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 look at law enforcement more closely. And uh, I ended up going back to school, and uh, I, I initially got my part-time license. Started working in this area as a as a part time officer. I went back to college in Minnesota. You have to have a, a law enforcement degree in order to be a cop here, 
So I, I ended up going back to college and uh, I ended up getting hired at the sheriff's office where I grew up and uh, where my dad worked. And, and uh, I worked my way up from there. I started in dispatch as a dispatcher in uh, 2000. And then uh, I, was I was also working on the road part-time and I started full-time on the road in 2002. Okay, so you spent you so you did your career um, as as a as a deputy, and yep. then you ran for sheriff, and you've been sheriff for how long? Uh, this is my sixth. I just finished my sixth year. This is I'm halfway through my second term. Great. Okay. And, uh, so all right. So you've been you you've been in all the different positions in law enforcement. You were a radio before because I mean anybody that listens to your voice on this show is going to say that guy ought to have a radio show. <laughs> well, well, it's, it seems that you do. So right. let's talk about you got involved with the uh, paying homage, if you will, um, and getting involved in memorial aspects of you know law enforcement memorial aspects in your state. Talk about that for a little bit, and then let's segue from that into uh, into what uh, the the idea that you came up with. Sure, re um, the podcast. So I I got in in 2013. Um, we were preparing for a 2014 campaign race for sheriff here in Dodge County, and uh, I had a, a one of my best friends from work who uh, was my captain at the time. He was third in command here, and. He was going to run for sheriff and, uh, I was going to fully support him. I had a media background and a radio background in addition to law enforcement. So I felt I could really help from a marketing standpoint and we were getting things ready. And, um, he had planned on announcing in, uh, we, uh, we, we would have probably announced in January of 2014. Uh, but in, uh, in the fall of 2013, we lost him to a massive heart attack. He was 43 years old. And, um, it left our office reeling and 40, 43 years old had a heart attack. So I, I as I was one of the investigators, so, so it ended up being my case and, um, talking to the coroner, the coroner explained to me that part of his, uh, part of the reason he passed was because of an acutely enlarged heart. And he said, uh, it was an acutely enlarged heart due to acute daily stress and, that daily stress, knowing him, he and his wife, the daily stress wasn't at home. The daily stress was, was uh, at, at work. He was always at odds with administration. Um, he had different beliefs on, on the direction we should go than administration. And he always felt like he had to protect the staff, protect his deputies, protect his dispatchers from administration. Uh, even though, honestly, he was administration. He was third in command. And, uh, and uh, that stress was more, than, was more than he could take. And the night that we all responded there and, um, and, uh, they called it, they called it, uh, we had the helicopter landed. We thought we were going to fly him to, to St. Mary's hospital in Rochester. When they called it, I was lost. I thought, I don't know what to do. And, uh, my, my first thought was to call the sheriff from Olmstead County, Sheriff Kevin Torgerson, who's in, who's, uh, his office is in Rochester, just 15 miles east of us, because I knew he was on the law enforcement Memorial association board. And I just called Kevin. I said, I need help. I don't know what to do. I've never been in this situation before. And I don't know, I don't know how to handle it. And, uh, I watched the, the Minnesota law enforcement Memorial association step up and, uh, they, they did such an incredible job with, with Loring's family. Um, 
with the with the service with the ceremony to to honor him to honor to honor our our deputies and to honor the first responders and and uh it was just it, it, it was just an amazing experience of uh, just seeing the work that they did for this for this fallen officer we fought with the state we were able to get a line of duty death determination for him uh, because of the uh because of the acute stress factor and um I felt compelled to get involved with the, the Memorial Association because I'd never, I, I'd been around cops and, and that kind of camaraderie, but I've, I'd never been around people who cared so much about these fallen officers and their families. And, and uh, I was just taken aback by that. So I got involved in the board and I've been on the board. I'm in my second term with the board there. Also work on the board uh, for the uh, Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota. And, um, and that kind of brought me to the project that we're talking about today. Fantastic. So, I mean, it's a great, it's, it's a very moving story. I mean, I can't, well, unfortunately I, I've, I've had the experience of losing, you know, friends and comrades in the line of duty over my career as well. But the, uh, the reality is that that, that death of that captain, your friend also created the environment for you to run for sheriff. It did, you know, it, it, you know, and it did a couple of things. One, it, it taught me, boy, it taught me a lot about this line of work and how, how quickly things can change. But, it, but in addition to that, it also taught me the importance of, uh, as an administrator, making sure we are, we are creating a work environment for our deputies. That's, that's, uh, that's supportive and safe and, and uh, an environment where it's okay not to be okay and to talk out issues and concerns. And, and, uh, and I learned a lot. Captain Loring Gunther was his name. And I learned so much from him. I, I actually, I still do today. He, he was, uh, qu- he had quite an impact on my life and my career. You know, that's one of the things that uh, leadership of organizations, I wish they would think more about their legacies and think more about, the impact that being a law enforcement leader, whether that leader is at the top of the food chain or even at the, just the supervisory sergeant's level, it, it can have a dramatic impact on the lives of those who work under you and with you. And that legacy type of environment or that legacy type of, of philosophy uh, can mean so much. I just wish it was a little more Cogn- I wish I wish law enforcement leaders were a little more cognizant of it. Clearly, you are. Well, you know, I think the the way I look at it um, is is if if we make sure we're taking care of our our cops, we're taking care of the men and women who are out there every day and every night doing this. Um, if we know they're mentally okay, um, and, and we show some some empathy and some understanding and some openness and being able to talk about you know, if they're not okay and, and, and that it's okay to not be okay, then they in turn are going to go out and they're going to, that's how they're going to treat the public. You know, that's how they're going to handle each call. That's how, you know, they're going to, they're going to put empathy into those calls. They're going to, they're going to think in, uh, on this domestic or on a child abuse case or whatever. They're going to think, you know, how would I want to be treated here? How, um, you know, it's going to be a multidimensional uh, approach versus um, I'm, I'm taking the report writing down a report, turning it into investigations. Now I'm going to the next call. I don't know. Right. I don't want it to be that way here. Understood. Understood. I, and I, I, I really 
am heartened to hear your philosophical approach to, to leadership. You created a podcast, the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I uh, was fortunate enough to listen to one of the episodes, and I was really, I was really impressed by a, a lot of different things. One is the quality of the podcast. You're you're clearly a very professional, polished uh, speaker when it comes down to um, you know creating the the production quality of the, of the podcast, but even more important is the philosophical approach you bring to it. Why did you create this podcast? So the idea came up in, uh, October of November of last year. And I was looking at, uh, what can I do different? How could I help more, uh, with these, with these fallen officers, with the, with the, the survivor families, um, and, and, and how do we tell the story? I, I was always, it's, it's always disappointing to me to look on a memorial website for a state and to see just a, you know, a one or two line, uh, narrative on what happened to this officer, because it doesn't really tell you much. Um, and, and, and I, and I get why it's like that, but I thought there's gotta be a way where we can, we can tell these stories and we can keep these memories alive. And the idea of the podcast came up where, my thinking on the podcast is I will, I'll, I'll utilize the podcast and I'll, I'll set the era. I'll set the time, uh, put you back in that timeline. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to learn about that agency and to learn about this officer and to learn about the kind of person he is. And then I'm going to walk you through what happened and I'm going to let you experience what happened and let you experience the loss of that officer. And the, the, the reason for that in my mind was to, to make sure that people understand that one cops are cops are human cops make mistakes. Um, you know, we're not robots out there doing our job, uh, day and night where we we're human. And, uh, the, the, the majority of the people, 99% of the people who do this job are, are amazing, amazing people. And every one of these stories shows that, and it, 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 it tells the whole story. So what I do on these, uh, on these more, on the more recent cases where, there are reports available. Uh, I'll, I'll utilize, I'll take all the reports. I'll go through all the reports of the case. I will uh, interview and incorporate audio from uh, some of the officers who were involved in the case or, or who were friends with the fallen. And then I will go through it with the family and I'll work with the family to, to tell their side of the story too. And, and the goal is uh, to honor these fallen heroes. It's to remember their service, to always remind, to remind us that we always need to support these families that they leave behind. And, and, and all, we need to, we need to continually support these families, not just at the funeral, not just at the memorial or a week or two later. Um, you know, the worst part for them is when everything goes quiet, when the phone goes quiet. And, um, one of them told me just recently this last week is that silence can often re-victimize. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I, I fully I understand that. Um, you know, we got to support the families and, and when we got to make sure that we don't forget the, the, the service and the sacrifice these officers made. So the idea of the podcast was to put that story together in a, in a storytelling, uh, audio podcast, um, put you back in that era, put you back in that time, share the story and, and, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, 
that uh, that ma a man man or woman, whoever the officer was that uh, that was taken, is never forgotten. I loved the way you used sound effects in the in your in your broadcast. I, it literally brought me back. Now, now, of course, I didn't experience this myself, but the 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 golden age of radio when that you know before there was television there the radio was the entertainment absolutely and the golden age of radio what your podcast does was so reminiscent to me of that type of entertainment quality and i don't mm -hmm. know if you did that on purpose or not but that was what it that's what i felt when i was listening to you i was fully engaged in your storytelling and, and and part of it was because you i mean i heard the horses it it was amazing i was i was really really blown away by the quality of your broadcast and the, and you used all of the production capabilities uh, to bring this story in a into such a compelling in such a compelling way so i i just have to I have to congratulate you on on the the uh, the quality of your broadcast. So, how many episodes have you done now? So we have we have five online now. I think we've got fifteen completed. Um, we just did a podcast for Itasca County up in uh, northern Minnesota, helping them on a, a parole hearing for the the guy that killed Deputy Robert Lawson up there. Uh, we utilize that podcast to help educate the public because it was back in the eighties when, when uh, Robert was killed and, and that podcast helped them generate somewhere between four and 500 letters to the state. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, he was, uh, he was given another 10 years or they added another 10 years to his, uh, his, um, his sentence. I've got uh, St. Paul PD. I'm working on uh, one with the, I just talked with their chief. This last week, we're going to work on one. There's a parole hearing coming up for them in April. So that's kind of a different aspect of, of the, the Memorial podcast. So if you listen to the Robert Lawson story, um, that one's considerably longer than most of them are around 40 minutes long, 40 minutes to an hour. Um, some of them less, uh, you know, depending on how long ago the, the story was. Um, but with the Lawson one, it's an hour and 40 minutes, but the, the story is incredible. And, uh, um, there's, they, even though it was, this happened back in the eighties, they, they still had radio traffic. They had the, the telephone traffic from the negotiating with, uh, Robert's killer to try and get him to, to give up. He did, there was an 18 hour standoff involved in that one. And, um, it's really a, that one's, that's, that one's an incredible story and such a great, such a great family, um, that I worked with, 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 uh, on that, on that story, as well as the, the folks from Itasca County. And, and that's one that, that that that's a story where I learned. I learned that there were so many unintended benefits to the surviving families, in in being involved in this project that I that I had never thought would happen. Um, if I if you if I could share that with you, it's absolutely it's super interesting. So, in working with the memorial board, my obviously my biggest concern is always. Uh, on the surviving family. And, and you, you want to make sure that everything that you do, events that we do throughout the year for the families, you know, you, it's always first and foremost in your mind that you want to make sure you're not re-victimizing these families. So that was my biggest fear while I was, while I was interested and excited about the podcast, 
and I, and I felt I could really produce um, a story that would be meaningful. I was extremely fearful that they would get re-victimized by, by telling the story. And what I found after working with several families right now is, is quite the opposite. Um, a common theme among these families has been that, especially with uh, the uh, younger, whether it's kids of the fallen or grandkids of the fallen, they've said, they've told me that it was talking about grandpa talking about grandpa's story was kind of taboo in their family. It's just not something they did. You just didn't talk about it. Um, and, uh, many reasons for that. Um, uh, everybody grieves in a different way. And some of these older cases there, 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 frankly, there wasn't much for support from their agencies either. Uh, so that that's a frustration and a hurt that just doesn't go away. And, uh, I had, with the Lawson family, they had so many unintended benefits. They're uh, his, uh, Robert's oldest son, Bobby, who I've become, I feel like I'm great friends with now after uh, sharing this experience with him. Um, you know, he, he shared with me the fact that, uh, you know, there, there was just a lot of unworked out issues that he had uh, about his dad's murder that, that uh, he was able to work through. He said it was cathartic or therapeutic to, to actually talk about it and, and work through the story. Now, every, nearly every family I've worked with has also told me that they've learned something on the podcast about the incident or about their fallen that they didn't know, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, at the time, you know, when it happens, the last thing that these families want to do is read anything about what happened to grandpa or dad or your husband or wife or whatever. Sure. Um, sure. So, and, and, and uh, in cases like this, you're going to block a lot of that out mentally just to survive that trauma. And the, I had one, one podcast where the daughter of uh, this fallen officer was nine when he was killed and uh, she's retired now, uh, retired professional yet still can't talk about him. Still has not gone to the memorials. Um, just, clams up when you, when just, she just closes down when you say anything about him. And, um, I put together the story, I put together a story and I, I didn't know whether she'd listen to it or not. She was, she was supportive of it and recognized the benefit of it for, for fellow officers in the public. But I, I wasn't sure that she'd listen. And once it was completed and she listened to it in, in tears, um, recontacted me and, uh, and, and thanked me for, for sharing his story, thanked me for, um, you know, putting it together and honoring him. And, and we're now talking about dad again, and we're talking about what happened. And, and that's something that hasn't happened in, in that family for decades. Oh, that's, um, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's pretty now, cool. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's more than cool, but uh, so everything that you've done has been involving officers in Minnesota is, are you planning on just doing officers who were killed because that's your, your state, or are you going to expand this to other, uh, other officers who've been killed in the line of duty? Nope. So actually, so I've, uh, of course I started with, with officers in Minnesota because that's where I am and that's where my career has been. Um, and, I, we're now going to be doing Omaha police departments, 26 fallen officers. I just started working on those. Now I'm on their second one now. And I also have a 
I also have an agency in Wisconsin who's got a parole hearing coming up and I'm going to work with that sheriff to share that deputy story and, and to help. That was, uh, I believe he was killed in the late seventies, late seventies or early eighties. So a lot of the folks that are in that community now don't remember, don't remember what happened. And sure. he's concerned about, uh, uh, the parole hearing. And, uh, in Minnesota, the law changed in, I believe it was 94, 93, 94, the law changed to where if you're convicted of killing a police officer, you're it's life without the possibility for parole. So any, any convictions prior to that, uh, they start getting parole hearings, um, through the state, they call them life hearings now. Uh, but, um, that's, that's part of the goal with the podcast too, is to, if we can help, if we can help those agencies and those families educate the public to voice their opinion with their state representatives or their state department of corrections to uh, keep these offenders in prison where they belong, uh, we'll do everything we can to help. So um, not just Minnesota, uh, right now, Minnesota, uh, Nebraska, and now Wisconsin. Uh, and, um, you know, we're open to, uh, we just want to, we want, we want to help tell, share these stories. We, we, I didn't, I had no idea the benefit that these families were going to have to it. And it so motivates me just to keep going and, and, uh, to keep going and help, you know, it's it, the, the, the other, uh, the other thing that we're seeing with these cases is the officers who are involved, um, now reconnecting after, after years, of course, most right. of them are retired now and, and, uh, they've reconnected. Um, or, or, or family members, family members who became estranged when the incident happened because of how awkward it was to talk with the surviving family. Sure. And, and they just never reconnected. Now they've heard the whole story and everybody's talking about it and they're, they're getting together again. How long does it, I mean, how long does it take for you to put one of these, uh, to do the research, do the interviews? There's a, there's a lot of work involved in this. There's a what lot of work. What is your what is your 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 time uh, constraints here? I mean, what is the the, the time utilized um, actuality? How's it long, how long does it take to put one of those shows together? So the longest the longest show that we've done so far is the Robert Lawson show, or Robert Beefy Lawson. His nickname was Beefy, and uh, they actually put their nicknames in the phone book in Itasca County back in those days. So you could look him up as Beefy Lawson in the phone book. <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm not sure so, I would want my nickname. I know, no, mine, mine neither. I am not appropriate. Um, but the, that, so that one's an hour and 40 minutes. And uh, the, I've probably got, I probably had 90 hours into that one. Wow. Between the, uh, there are a ton of research time. That, there's, there's more research time than, than anything. Um, because, especially on, in these bigger cases where you have, multiple because I'm taking every report and I'm, I'm going through every report that is on, that is available on that case. And I'm piecing that story together, making sure it's factual based on all those reports. It's a good, it's a good thing. You've got an investigative background. I, exactly. So it's, a, so that part is kind of, that, that makes it fun for me. I mean, I enjoy that aspect of it. I also love history. So I love being able to incorporate the some of the sound bites and the era the era pieces in the beginning of these shows that that kind of set the stage for where we're at and uh it's 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 been an amazing journey i it's it's quickly become probably one of the most important projects i've ever done i, I can and i can absolutely understand why so how can people listen to these podcasts how so, do they find them 
So uh, we're on, uh, we're at officerdownmemorialpodcast.com. Um, or if, if you're, if you're already a podcast listener and you have a podcast app that you like, it's out on most of the apps on Google, on Apple, on Spotify. Um, so go to the app, uh, click subscribe. And, uh, right now we're doing about every other Friday at, at some point here soon, it'll end up being every week. And then there'll be a double up weeks too, depending on, depending on the officers that we're covering. And, um, and then, uh, we're on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. So, uh, you know, follow us there and, uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll share the stories and make sure these officers are never forgotten. So your Facebook is officer down Memorial podcast. Yep. Correct. Every one of them is the same. Everything's the same. Yeah. Same. Yep. Fantastic. I, 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 I urge my listeners, uh, th- I mean, first of all, thanks for listening to my podcast, but you've got to hear this. It's, uh, it's it's moving, it's entertaining, it's important. So go to officer down memorial podcast.com or that's your website, correct? Correct. Yep, correct. Take a look at that. Support uh, Sheriff uh, Scott Rose. He is doing amazing work, still an active sheriff, as well as uh, touching the lives of families of the fallen. And, uh, and law enforcement officers all over the country. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to be on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, and talking about this amazing project of yours. Thank you, Randy. God bless. I want to tell you about an organization that I'm going to ask you to support. It's called The Wounded Blue, and you can see it at thewoundedblue.org. They are the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Now, by uh, I have to tell you the truth, and that is that I am the founder of that organization and the national director. What do they do? They provide peer support for injured and disabled officers all over the United States. They have a team of dedicated police officers, all who have been shot or stabbed or beaten or run over or faced psychological trauma, and they know exactly what these men and women are going through today. It's free, of course, because this is a national nonprofit charitable organization. They don't take any fees. Nobody makes any money on this deal. This is just about helping those men and women who have sacrificed so much for their communities and their country. Check it out at thewoundedblue.org. Your support is is really needed. These men and women uh, have been abused in ways you can't even imagine. In fact, if you got a moment, go to Amazon.com. And look at our documentary film called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You will be shocked. Check it out, thewoundedblue.org, and support these men and women. Thank you. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, We pay our respects to the men and women of the law enforcement profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. Unfortunately, this week I have three more names to read. The first is Deputy Sheriff Ross Dixon of the Cambria County Sheriff's Office in Pennsylvania. Deputy Sheriff Ross Dixon died from complications as a result of contracting COVID-19 in a presumed exposure while on duty at the Cambria County Courthouse. Deputy Dixon had served with the Cambria County Sheriff's Office for 35 years. He is survived by his wife and four children. 
Deputy Sheriff Ross Dixon, Cambria County Sheriff's Office, Pennsylvania. End of watch. Tuesday, February 9th, 2021. The next is Chief of Police, Timothy John Sheehan of the California Borough Police Department in Pennsylvania. Chief of Police, Tim Sheehan suffered a fatal heart attack the day after responding to a call in which he had to perform CPR on a citizen. He had returned to duty the following morning when he suffered a heart attack while clearing snow from his vehicle. Chief Sheehan has served with the California Borough Police Department for 15 years. He also served as a firefighter with the Brownsville Fire Company. He is survived by his wife, three children, and mother. Chief of Police Timothy John Sheehan, California Borough Police, Pennsylvania, and of watch Thursday, February 11th, 2021. And the third is police officer Michael Penton of the Dallas Police Department in Texas. Police officer Michael Penton was struck and killed by a vehicle operated by an intoxicated driver at about 1.45 a.m. He was working at the scene of a vehicle collision in the northbound lanes of the North Central Expressway. He was securing traffic with the emergency lights from his patrol car when a vehicle driven by an intoxicated driver traveling at a high rate of speed hit the back of his patrol car. The collision pushed the patrol car into Officer Penton. Officer Penton was transported to Baylor University Medical Center where he died from his injuries. The driver of the vehicle that struck the officer was arrested and charged with intoxication manslaughter of a police officer. Officer Penton has served with the Dallas Police Department for just two years, was assigned to the Northeast Patrol Division. He is survived by his expectant wife and stepson. Police Officer Michael Penton, Dallas Police Department, Texas, end of watch, Saturday, February 13th, 2021. May they rest in peace. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network. I want to thank you for taking the time to spend your time with me and hear about all things that are affecting the American law enforcement officer. Once again, I'm going to remind you to support thewoundedblue.org. I love some hot coffee. Go to lawdogcoffee.com and... uh, the Brothers in Blue Bash. Those are the, those are the uh, things I would love for you to take a look at and support and come to and join in because the men and women of American law enforcement need your support. Check it all out. Thanks again for taking the time to spend it with me here on America Out Loud on Blue Lives Radio. We'll see you again soon. Well, or you can hear me again soon.